Tom and Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your Tilo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low in your Tilo, Lorenzo Marquez, my lovely husband. Dude. How are you, Lorenzo? I'm wonderful. Refreshed. We had a wonderful time this weekend. So, yeah, yeah it was this great. this past weekend, we um, skipped out of town. That's why we didn't do a podcast. Really, really sorry about that. But also not sorry about that because we deserve some time Absolutely. off. Um, so... You know, after lockdown and everything, and last summer we did get out in the world. We actually got to do some book tour stuff. But um, this summer we have been taking some real, just away time, right. uh, which we haven't done in years. And, um, you know, Fire Island, our annual trip to Fire Island arose, and we were like, you know what, we could rush and record a podcast on our way out the door, or we could try and record one while we're out there, which we did once before. And it was a nightmare. <laughs> it was a nightmare. <laughs> so, you know, we've said this before, we'd rather not release product rather than release shoddy That's product. Very true. So we are sorry to have skipped out on you last week, but we are back. Yay! And we're back. Um, I don't even know what the interest will be in today's podcast, but... You know, uh, if there's a rule, we've been doing this for seven years, believe it or not, podcasting since 2015. I know, crazy. Um, and if there's a rule, it's um, in podcasting, it's it's stick to what, you know, talk about stuff you know. Right. And there are a few things in the world that I am more oh well-versed yeah. on than the topic we're going to talk about today. I although, although, I just want to say I am going to work very, very hard <laughs> To give Lorenzo the space and not dominate the conversation, because I really want the newbie perspective. Well, here. that's me right here. He's Mr. Newbie. But we're going to talk about Netflix's The Sandman, which premiered today, and which I feel will be a sort of buzzy show uh, for at least the next couple of weeks or two as these things go. And then everyone will stop talking about it, because that's how streaming shows are. I don't know if we're talking hit on the level of like Squid Game or Stranger Things, but... Right. Um, I think it's a show that will capture some people's imaginations. And uh, because I first read, um, I read the first issue in 1989 when it came out. I read the entire series, then I collected it in graphic novel form. And I pretty much have read it probably once a year, every year since 1997. I remember, I remember dating you and you, you, you talked about it. Yeah. Uh, and then when we moved in together, I was like, what are these? And you explained to me what they were. Right. So... It's interesting because I was all over the internet, like, you know, all over the place, like YouTube everywhere. And it was cute because all these YouTube people, uh, YouTube uh, people talking about the the show and say, oh, my God, I've been waiting my entire life. For right, this. Right. You know, they're, you know, that that's cute. We all have. And um, although I probably could have lived without a, a an adaptation of the same and it didn't have to be adapted, but... <clears throat> Excuse me. Given um, the nature of the book, and, and uh, part of we're going to talk today about what the book, why the book books were important, mm -hmm. and why they became something of a phenomenon. I can when I was in on the ground floor of this, so I can give you some perspective as to how it unfolded and why it unfolded the way it did. Why people respond so strongly to this book. Um, books. I refer to it as a book, but it really is 75 single issues of a comic book that were then collected into 10 graphic novels. Um, but uh, I'm going to talk about the reasons historically why it was important, the things that it brought into the comic book reading community in the late 80s and early 90s, and why it's been so difficult to adapt. Um, 
I, this is not a straight up review of the series, and we're not going to spoil much of what happens right. in the series. This podcast is dropping on the day the series premieres, so most of you listening probably haven't watched it. Um, however, like I said, it's something I, I, I didn't do. I know you did some research to get caught up on this, and this is not bragging. This is more like, let me explain the difference <laughs> right. in our perspective. <laughs> right. I didn't do so I, much I as haven't read five seconds yeah, of I research. I haven't read the book yet. So. I, I, have not, I didn't sit down to do any research. To uh, We've already posted three reviews, each of which are well over 2,000 words long for the first three episodes. And um, I, I I won't say I didn't do any research. I did reread the issues the episodes are based on, and I had to... Not that it wound up in the writing, but I, I was a little confused because at one point he refers to the Hecate and the Fates as if they are the same thing. And I'm like, I don't think they are the same thing, and I don't think they mm-hmm. were the same thing in the book. So I, I got sidetracked on certain things like that. But in terms of names of characters or references or stuff like that, no, I, I don't have to do any research on the Sandman. And so, having said that, <laughs> we're going to talk. I'll give you much of my impressions of this of the TV series and everything going forward. But you sat and watched it with me, knowing zero, zero about, about it, it. and zero I did it. nothing to prep you. I wasn't no, like, okay, no. this is the story of the personification of dream. I didn't do anything. You sat down and watched it cold. So I'm really curious. Um, I know some of how you reacted, right, right. but I'm, I'm really curious to hear. Like, I'm wh- going to be totally honest here. I mean, first thing is that if I... I don't know. If I was just by myself and, and you didn't exist, I probably wouldn't watch it. No, I believe that. Because that's that wasn't my thing in my head, but it is now. Um, and it's interesting because... Uh, I was reading interviews and and Neil uh, Gaiman, right? That's his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he said that he spent the last fourth, uh, the last uh, thirty years fighting ad- adaptations because he never liked anything presented to him. Yeah, and this is the first time that he felt <laughs> like it was correct, it was right, because everyone involved is a fan of the book, so right. which makes a huge difference. Sure. So I, I have haven't read the books yet, and so I was like, all right, let me watch this, and I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Um. I'll talk about a few things that I thought that some, from a, from the perspective of someone who hasn't read the books, like things that I was a little confused every now and then, but then they got clarified later on. But anyway, uh, I loved it. Loved it. I thought it was a beautiful. It has a beautiful message. It it it's very, uh, I don't know. It 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 transports you and and makes you think about a lot of things and i think that's the whole point of of the books it sounds trite but um uh at its best the sandman uh, is giving you commentary on humanity right i'll talk a bit about this the the world of the sandman and this is something that is in some of our reviews so far we try to explain this people because i tried to explain it to you where i kept saying it's all literal. You have to remember there is no metaphor in this right. world. So when someone says I need to consult the fates, they are literally <laughs> going to go talk to three old witches. Right. And if, you know, if someone says they're Cain and Abel, they are literally Cain and Abel from the Bible. There's no it's very straightforward in that way. Um but it can also get goofy. It can get a little goofy. Uh the the worlds that Gaiman works in that that he writes in are very archetypal and mythological and that right. sort of thing. So it's common that he will have gods and angels and devils and that right. sort of thing in his writing. And we saw American Gods and I also watched Good Omens, which is adapted from the book that he wrote with Terry Pratchett and 
American Gods is also a Neil right. Gaiman book. And both of those, in my opinion, sort of fizzled out. I didn't think they were... I think they started off strong, right. like a lot of Gaiman um, concepts, and then it's very hard to render them on film or television without looking really goofy. You know, you're like, okay, right. that's Odin, the the you know thunder god, and you can do that in Marvel, but you know, it starts, it doesn't always work. And I will say that there are parts of the series that um, the TV series that I don't think actually translate as well as they could. Not least of which, and this is disappointing, is Hell how they depict hell, mm-hmm. and how they depict Lucifer. Now, the original books, let's talk about why they were important. The original books were important. First off, they are not, um, even though they were peripheral to a um, world of DC Comics superheroes, and in the early issues of the comics, there were a couple, a couple of members of the Justice League show up. You're not going to have any of that in the TV show because the entire story stands apart from that. Um, so... And when it was written in 1989, it was published from 89 to 96, I think. Yeah. And it, and mm-hmm. unusual for the time, although this is common now, Gaiman um, had, he wrote all 75 issues. He created all the, it was written like one of his, like a novel. He had complete control over it. Uh, and he had a beginning, middle and end to the story. And he knew it was going to be 75 issues long and he knew exactly how it was going to mm-hmm. end. Um, so it reads like a novel, and that is why I call it a book, even though it was 75 issues right. or 10 graphic novels. Um, what you see in this first season comprises, I think, eight or nine issues of the comic book and two of the gra- uh, or two of the graphic novels. So we're only about one fifth of the Which way. Which is through. crazy. I mean, that's that's a lot. <laughs> it's also nothing. It's also it, right. it has not even touched on where this story is going to go. I mean, one of the books that this season is based on, the title of the book is Preludes and Nocturnes. It is, most of what you're looking at is a prelude. All the stuff about him getting captured, Mm -hmm. all that stuff about Rose being the vortex, the dream vortex and everything, it's mainly set up for stuff that, and and it's going to, what I love, 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 and I really hope they do this in the series, because we've only done, you know, one season so far, but what I loved about the comic series, the story itself, was that, it traveled everywhere, and it was, you know, the French Revolution. It was the hill. I know that's great. the hillsides of ancient Greece, or it was. He goes and visits Caesar Augustus in one in one story. There's Shakespeare, you know, and Shakespeare is in it. I and, know, and I can't even. I'm. I don't want to hint where he's going to go with Shakespeare. No, don't tell me. But Shakespeare comes back. In fact, Shakespeare <laughs> is very important to the story. Um, so I love that aspect of it. That the character is, you know, immortal. Universe. He's as old as the universe. And um, so the story allows you to tell much about him in any given time mm. or place. And Gaiman took full advantage of that in writing the books. So I'm looking forward to that. There is one episode this season where we get to see Dream, the main character, over several centuries. And it, light, oh God. it lights you on fire. It's, I remember that story the first time it, it appears in the books. And it really, it sort of opens the whole world up where you're like, oh, right. So this we could go anywhere with this character, and we do. So let's explain briefly what the Sandman is. Um, as I said, it's strictly, it, it, it operates strictly in the literal, and it is about unpacking ancient myths and stories, ancient religious religions, ancient epic tales, and they all come up. Gaiman makes references to all of it. He makes references 
you know, you think of any sort of epic old tale from the Bible to Gilgamesh mm-hmm. to, you know, uh, Canterbury Tale, it's all in there because it is a story about stories and it's about like it's about the history of stories. So, um, characters will act in ways that aren't always natural. They're more mythic in nature, the way a god or an immortal would act, not entirely human. And and the main character of the story is Dream of the Endless, is, is the Sandman, who is one of um, death, despair, desire, dream, destiny, delirium. <laughs> one of six or seven um, endless figures who are at, were there at the dawn of time and have been governing these emotional states um, ever since. Uh, like I said, it's destiny, death, dream, desire, despair, destruction, delirium. They don't reveal all of them. This they all reveal all of them, but destruction this this season. Um, they're all his siblings, and um, his his sort of realm, his responsibilities is to govern not just dreams but stories. Um, and that's a rather broad, uh, you know portfolio so to speak he is also a problematic character and i don't mean problematic in the sense that he's like you know racist or or he sexually harasses women i mean that he um he's a character with a lot of flaws because he's ancient and the story sort of unpacks what it means to be that old mm-hmm. and that caught up in your responsibilities that, that's interesting and yeah. your rules um yeah the series so far only touches on that it doesn't and in fact, I, I don't want to spoil anything. We're going to do reviews. They're all going to come out over the next three or four days. But it ends... I really don't like the way the season ends because it somewhat violates this idea that a dream or Morpheus, as he's also called, is... Um, he's He doesn't change. He finds it difficult to change. He's very stuck in his ways. And, and the ending of this season sort of goes against that. And we'll unpack a little bit of that. But uh, tell me more about what you thought. Who's your favorite character? Well, I I, I love pretty much all of them. But my, <clears throat> my I, I think my favorite is L- Lucien. 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 I the the actress uh, Vivian. Uh, what's her name? Uh, Achampang. Vivian Achampang. Achampang. Oh my God, she's amazing. She is, and she's, she's not, amazing. She hasn't done much acting actually. Her voice, the way she looks at. Um, Dream. The Sandman, yeah, it it's just amazing. She the way she delivers every line, she is just perfect. Okay, so Dream lives in a realm called the Dreaming, which is where everybody goes when they sleep. They, li- that's what I mean. Everything's literal. So when you dream, that stuff actually happens to you. You actually go to a, a place, and it actually happens. You don't remember it in the morning. But that's how it works. Like a library of, um, of your dreams, I guess. It's an entire world right. where, where Morpheus, the, the, the Sandman, is sort of in charge of looking over your dreams. Um, and that world is populated by all these characters, dreams and nightmares and what he calls staff. And Luciana is staff. She is the royal librarian. Um, but she's also something of a right-hand woman to dream. Partially because if you're the king of stories, then your royal librarian mm. would be an incredibly important person. And I think you mentioned that in the books, uh, it, it, it's... It's a white man. It's a white man, yes. Um, and, and um, well, not a man, but he's white. he presents as a white man. Um, he has little pointed ears like an elf, and actually so does she. In the, I don't know if you noticed. No, she, I didn't notice She that. has little elf oh, ears. I have to go it's back. It's adorable. Um, 
uh, that's something that I would like to unpack a little bit is that the casting of the series is extremely racially diverse in a way that the, the comic book never was. Really? The comic book was published in 1989. Everybody in it was white, practically. What's interesting here, here's some inside baseball stuff that I didn't tell you about as we were watching it. There is um, a notable, uh, to the point where I, I saw several critics make point of this, just a, there are points in the story where you're like, wow, this story is loaded with black women. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of black women in the story. In a, you know, that's not in a complaining right. way, not in an overwhelming way. It's just an observation. It's know. just an observation. Like, right. wow, they really cast, there's just a lot of black female characters in this story. Um, I think that part of that was deliberate, not just because the story needed to be more diverse than it, as it originally presented, but there's an interesting aspect to the original stories. Gaiman wrote these stories in 89 to 96. They won awards for their diversity and their representation. He had trans characters. He had black characters. He had gay characters. Um, and at the time, those kinds of characters were not appearing in mainstream comics. So it he it really was diverse and liberal in a way uh, that literally won awards. However, 30 years have passed, and there are things about the original that is just problematic. Without spoiling too much, you saw a scene where in this season where Dream goes to hell and encounters a black woman who begs him to set her free. Um, I'm not giving too much away. It's a very small aside. It will pay off in future seasons. Um, My point is, in the comics, they're very literate in a lot of ways. They're very, they they employ literary um, motifs and functions. And one of the things Gaiman employed was, um, he would employ visual and narrative motifs that repeated themselves. Because there is a central character who was a black woman in hell, one of the visual motifs that repeats throughout the story are black women dying in fires. Hmm. And it's powerful. And you rec- and as you see it happen over and over again, it, it becomes more and more powerful in the story. However, in 2022, you might not want a story where the, the, the white presenting male character is causing the deaths of all these black women. Right. Um, so I suspect that motif has been removed completely and i suspect part of this this um aggressive casting of black women in in the story as we noted like lucien is not just um cast as i mean he was originally a white man you know they didn't just change the right um his sister death was a white-skinned goth chick in the comics and really oh yeah she was modeled on chrissy hind and Susie and the banshees oh my god that's exactly what she looked like no i love i love the new version the new version is kirby howell baptiste oh she's she's fantastic she's a black woman but they um they maintained the core of what that character is who that how that character Mm -hmm. acts and um in every instance, I think the casting works. There is one instance. Uh, um, I'm not going to get into this where, because it, it can sound really cruel in a conversation. When we're doing the reviews, there are a few performances that I'm going to point out I don't think worked particularly well. Right. But they are mostly side characters or minor characters. Um, one of the things I love is that they cast really good actors like Charles Dance. Oh my God! Yes, and you know, um, I, I was so excited to see him like the first episode, yeah. right in the beginning, and even just fun, yeah, ca- you know, a- a- television actors like Jenna Coleman, who really has a wonderful time playing. She was great, yeah, Joanna Constantine. Um, 
and of course, Kirby Hal Baptiste and Vivian Ant- uh, Champong and, and Tom Sturridge's dream. It's there's com- oh, and then Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer. It's competent to excellent actors across the board. And then some of these side roles and smaller roles, I don't think they're cast very well. They, they didn't work for me. I it didn't work. It's very like B list television actor it just doesn't go with the rest of it no uh, it feels like they're not there yeah um, there are it. there are rough spots with it right. however when i tell you i love this story love 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 all the characters in it um when i revisited it to um start writing about it and it has been actually a joy to write about it i'm like i haven't written about sandman <laughs> since i used to be on you know nerd message boards in the 90s um but in revisiting it, it's sometimes you revisit a piece of art. I remember the time I went back to watch, you know, that German film Wings of Desire? Yes, yes. About yes. the Guardian Angels. Yeah, you love that movie. And yes. I watched it years and years later, and I was like, holy shit, this has formed my my moral code, right, right. my understanding of death. This one movie has just... Uh, the Sandman is very much like that. It has um, It was formative for me. And I wasn't actually that young. It wasn't like I was a teenager when I read it. But um, I... Well, actually, I was fairly young. It came out in 89. I was fairly young. Um, It formed my ideas about a lot of things, Mm -hmm. about fiction, about myth, about um, religion, about stories. And I have to tell you, I'm almost embarrassed to admit this. It is the only story, literally, not, not superheroes, not Tolkien, not anything. It is the only story world that fictional world that i've ever read that i still to this day i'm like i wish that was real i wish i went to the dreaming when i went to sleep at night (laughs) i wish i closed my eyes and morpheus was there on the other side it's the only fictional world that has ever made me feel that way it it it, well i feel i feel i feel like that about um death the character death um don't you wish death was like that and i'm gonna be very honest here in a way that i'm kind of like well do i sure do I don't go there? Yeah. Anyway, I I have a, hu- a huge problem with death. I, I don't want to die. I have a problem with death. I'm not ready. Welcome I'm, to humanity. I just not. And this is the first time ever that death was presented to me in a way that I was like, you know what? Maybe, Maybe. I would accept this yeah. in a much more pleasant way. Uh, There's an entire uh, ep- episode, which is based on an entire issue, where Dream goes around with his sister death as she goes about right. her duties and she her duties are meeting people at their moment and taking them to it's the just, other side and it uh, that that is a verbatim redoing mm-hmm. of the comic it's uh, you know it's so many of the, the scenes with the guy playing the violin oh like, my god that was just incredible incredible i cried when i read that in the comics it wow. was so well written and they replicated it fairly almost perfectly and again, it did. It formed my ideas, or it had an influence on my right. ideas about death. In the book, um, there's a version of this in the in the episode where they they don't make it quite so hard to handle. But in the book, she has to take a baby who dies. Mm-hmm. And when the baby dies, she picks it up and the baby starts talking because it's dead now and it can talk to death. And, he, and the baby says, is this all I got? And she says, you get, I'm going to get choked up. She says, you get what everyone got. You got a life. And 
that formed my because I've lost people who were young. I've right, lost right. people who were old, right. and and I've always held on to that idea, no matter what. They got a life. Right. And it's not just the dialogue. It's the performance, too. Kirby Howe. What's her name? Kirby Howe. Kirby Howe Baptiste. Baptiste. She's wonderful. She is incredible. The yeah. way she delivers her lines, the way she uh, I'm like, reached out to them and touched them and, right. and, and says, um, Take it's my time. Hand. Yeah. It's just beautiful. Yep. She's fantastic. She, it, um, the, the scene with the musician, um, it... It's absolutely incredible uh, when, you know, when it says, oh, it's time, you know, right. I'm not ready, all right. that. It's just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Every time she meets someone, right. um, oh, I'll meet you later. <laughs> right, right. I'll <laughs> oh, see yeah. you later. Oh, yeah. Well, I know. I'm going to see you later. And he's uh, like, how'd you know my name? It's just incredible. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. Uh, and like I said, it, it made me think about death in a, in a different way. I know it sounds That's so wonderful because it had the same effect on me 30 it years ago. It sounds like a silly thing to say. It's not. It's not. But after I watched the show, I was like, wow, this gives me a whole different, I don't know, idea, perspective, view on, yeah. on things. Yeah. And in that same, they combine that story with another uh, issue of the comics where um, we meet Dream's longtime friend, Hob Gadling. And Hob Gadling. Oh, wow. Love that. I um, as, we're about a third of the way through that episode, and I turned to, to Lorenzo and I said, "Just so you know, Hob Gadling is my favorite character really? in this yeah. entire. Yeah, and there's a hundred yeah. characters, and they nailed it. And what I love about Hob is, Hob is a man who, in 1389, death and dream come upon him in a tavern in England. He's a soldier, and he's bragging about how he'll never die. And death and dream look at each other, and they they basically like, what the hell? Let's just <laughs> well, all right, fine. Let's because it's up to her whether he I died. I know, I know, I know. So, um, Dream um, becomes his friend and and meets him every hundred years in this in a tavern at the same spot. And they and they become. I don't want to give too much away, but what what I love about Hob is Dream is a character that is depressed and morose and rigid and old and stuck in his ways, and Hob. All he wants to do is live, live another day, live another year, live another month. And it shows actually over the course of his life, it's not easy to live 600 years. There's a lot, he had some really right, like right, right, difficult right. centuries there. And he always wanted to continue living. Um, he is the lightness in, in, you know, opposition to dreams, darkness. And I really hope they develop his character as well as, you know, over the arc of the series, I will say his final, appearance in the books has stayed with me for for really? 25 oh, years and, it, and if they nail that final appearance uh i can't wait i, I just, can't well, wait well, i mean everything is beautiful about it the sets change of course the right. costumes change so every every hundred years they when they meet um i love it i love it and the the actor what's his name ferdinand um kingsley, kingsley or something like yeah, that yeah he is great he's really good he's, he's great really, he's really kind good. of funny and and i love and he starts off as someone who's not too bright i mean right, he's like right. a dumb soldier in the 12th century or the 14th century but um by the end as living 600 well, years yeah. he's, <laughs> I mean, he's not a mastermind no, but, he's, but he he he's learned very a couple sharp things, yeah. and he's learned a few things i i i love that that that's my second favorite uh time um, and that was my criticism only. Uh, but then later I was like, oh, okay, well, that's how it is. Uh, I felt that every chunk, every, I guess, every situation or, or book, I guess, or, mm -hmm. or issue 
kind of like stops and another one starts. And, and, and if you haven't read the books or anything, I'm like, You don't oh. realize you're in a different story. Yes, you don't realize you're in a different story. You're like, oh, what's going on now? And then this ends and then something else starts. And the first five episodes are, are one story. The right. whole, the whole uh, series, if they do it correctly, should be one long story. But it is broken up into arcs. And the first five episodes is, is one arc. Then the sixth episode is an interlude with death. And then um, the seventh through the tenth are another arc. And I do remember we got to the seventh episode, and I knew what was going on. I was like, oh, we're in the doll's house now, which is the second story. Right, but I didn't know. And you were like, what is going on? What happened to all that other stuff? And I was like, oh, that story's over. We've moved on to <laughs> like, the next one. What happened one. to my favorite characters? You know, like anyway, They could label that back. a little bit better. Uh, yeah, probably. And while we're at it, we watch screeners and... The whole time we watched the screeners, I kept thinking, I really, really hope the FX are better than what I'm seeing Did here. Did you watch it now? They're, no, they're the same. They're the same? Uh-huh. It's Netflix special effects. And <laughs> at sometimes it works, but um, <clears throat> it's hard not to compare everything to the books. But the books were drawn in a very specific style that was very sketchy and impressionistic in 1980s in, in, in tone. And... It worked so well for establishing those worlds because Dream doesn't live in quote unquote the real world, so it never looked entirely realistic. It looked right. It looked changeable. It looked like it was always moving and shifting in the background. And you know, when modern digital effects, that's not what they want. They want everything to look solid and physical and and from mm-hmm. every single angle. So here's this castle, and it looks like a castle. But in the comics, it it looked like something that was shifting and moving and you know that's right. and they're not really getting that that impressionistic sense across everything looks crisp and real right and i really wish they didn't do that uh, i i some of the some of the um um digital work on the dreaming is, and and on uh when he goes to visit hell are is actually really beautiful the gates of hell are stunning mm. but um uh, uh, some of it, a lot of it, just doesn't work for me. I'm, I'm like, they're they're just doing literal recreations of comic scenes, but they're not giving it that sort of hazy. Oh, I see. Feel it's all very digital and crisp, right? And that's a world that I think should be a little more impressionistic. I would have loved to have seen some actual animation, you know, to do some of the dream the dream sequences instead of doing these highly digital effects. Like I said, it's not perfect. Um. However, I think it's probably as good as you could expect, given just this day and age that we're in and, and the style of television shows. that You weren't going to get some sketchy, pencil-drawn, animated version of The Sandman because it, no one's going to invest money in something like that right. and put it on you right, know, right. Netflix or HBO. It was going to have to look a certain way. There are all sorts of concessions to how it's restructured now as a television show, which means characters learn lessons and they go on little right. emotional yeah, arcs and everything like that. Oh, that's None of that's in the book. The right. book is actually considerably darker in a lot of ways. But again, I'm like, I, I you know, I can accept that because I understand if you're going to make this, that's what's going to have to happen. Right. I, I, I think some of the bad reviews, I, you know, I wouldn't say bad, but anyway, some of the criticism was that it didn't go all the way there. Like It doesn't. Being too it dark. It doesn't. And, um, in re, because I'm now on my third watch because I'm writing these recaps, and in in my second and third watch of, of the earlier episodes, I realized that they are in fact darker than I had originally. They aren't dark in the same way the book is dark, but they are very. But they are dark. They are yeah. dark. Um, 
But really, that second storyline, I don't want to get into it, but I just want to prepare you because I do recommend, I we both recommend this series, but um, the latter storyline is not great. And I'm hoping it's something of a wobble because they have a lot ahead of them. Um, I don't know. What else? What else? Um, well, I I do want to say that it we pretty much watched the whole thing. <laughs> well, one. yeah. Yes. And... It went so fast. Like I, I wanted more. I was yeah. like, "That's it. That we're done. I want more." I mean, I mean, it, what it, they I really go enjoyed. to. Like I, yeah. I don't want to give anything away. But those of you who know, you know, it's not even begun where this is going to go. And they and there are characters that have not been introduced yet. Not least of which, most of his siblings. You've only met right. Uh, death, despair, and desire. Um, I do want to talk about the sets. The, th- the sets are gorgeous. Uh, Desire's place is Desire, absolutely again, beautiful. Every character, all of the endless have realms, and we, again, we are in a world that is extremely literal in a lot of ways. So, Desire, who has an ego like you wouldn't believe, <laughs> um, and who presents as non-binary yeah. um, in the comics, they would go back and forth be- between he and she, or sister brother. And it was depending on on who was perceiving desire, what gender desire was. They have cast a non-binary trans actor right. in the role, and they're perfect. They, Mason Alexander Park. Mason Alexander Park. They are perfect. They but are. My yeah. point is, the her, the set for Desire's realm is stunning. And the reason, and this, I just love this. It sounds goopy when you say it, but the realm of Desire is a gigantic statue of Desire. And uh, the castle that Desire lives in is located inside Desire's heart. It is a massive heart, <laughs> and it's beautiful, the size of a of a castle. And so when 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 Dream goes to visit uh, Desire, it's all like lacquered red and molded walls. It's, it's and gorgeous. It's gorgeous. just gorgeous. The, it looks like a nightclub. Everything about Desire, the makeup, the the costumes. Yeah. Uh, what I love about love the Mason Mason Alexander Park. Yes. Uh, is that they um, very femme, very femme right. in their presentation, very femme um, about, but extremely deep voice, right? And I hope this doesn't come across the right way because I want to say this is exactly what you want Desire to be. I have never looked it up. I do not really know how Mason Alexander Park identifies or what they were identified at birth like you know what i mean right, I, right, right. I literally have no idea right. how what road you traveled to become the person you but are now and just, i yeah. love that yeah. i love that that is what desire is supposed to be desire is not nice um and it depends on how you read their actions throughout the series but it, desire is more or less a villain and again, this is game and making commentary about certain things, about certain things in the human condition, about how how much desire will fuck you up mm-hmm. and how desire is often at the heart of the worst things human beings ever do. And desire always smiling and friendly, but <laughs> Ex- evil. It's awesome. Evil and sexy. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's I, I love Gaiman's conceptualization of these characters. Desire's twin sister is despair. Yes. The fact that they're twins, I think, is really... It's just interesting that that Gaiman saw it this way. Now, in the in the comics, I wondered. I was like, "How are they going to do despair on screen?" Because in the comics, despair is um, first off, she's so short that um, she probably could be classified as a little person, but she's really, really wide. 
and she's naked. She's basically um, a, a representation of like the Venus of Villendorf, like those, mm-hmm. f- you know, wide, multi-breasted right. um, uh, fertility figures. Um, but she's completely naked. So in, to put it bluntly, she's a short, fat, naked woman. Um, that's how despair is is rendered. And I'm like, first, Netflix will never do that because she's full frontal right. naked in the right. comics. And second, this is one of those concepts where I understand where Gaiman was going for this but back in the '90s yeah. and everything, but but you really can't do right. that in the present day without it coming across a little problematic. Now, in his credit, to the artwork's credit, the way Despair is drawn in the comics, she is one of the few members of the Endless who doesn't present as entirely human. Like she has right. jagged teeth. She's not supposed to be a woman, let right. alone a a plus size woman. But. Um, you can't get that across. So what they cast her, she, the actress who plays her is plus sized and she is, um, she wears like a ratty sweater. She's, she's basically what a depressed person, you know, she's right. an, I, I, an archetypal depressed person. I don't think that actually works as well because despair in the comics, in the story. And it's important that she's represented this way in the series is, um, well, depression means a lack of, you can't do anything, you don't want, nothing matters. Right. And despair is actually, um, in some ways, very aggressive. Uh, 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 what I love is it despair's realm in the comics is gray and formless. It's nothing but a mist and a million mirrors. And in each mirror is a person going through something and despair looks... Oh, wow. Yeah, like, ah, I love that character. Um, and it has commentary about what despair is. And one of the things that... Um, it's very subtle in the stories, and I really hope they get this across, is that each of the endless also represents its opposite. So death represents life. Right. And dream represents reality. And despair represents hope. Um, so, and destruction, who you will meet later, represents creation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope they get into that because none of these, like I said, desire is something of a, of a villain, but I, if it's, if they write them correctly, the way Gaiman intended them to be written, they're neutral. They are what they are. Mm-hmm. There are good and bad parts of dis- desire. There are even good and bad parts of despair, if that makes any sense. It is a human condition. We all go through it. It's not evil. It just is. Right. And they and each of these things have functions. Um, it's big stuff, but it's also simple stuff, and it's revealing stuff about mm. humanity. At the same time, they go on little adventures, and there's, you know, crazy stuff that happened. There's magic, and there's evil, and there, you know, that sort of thing. So it packs a lot in. It can get, like I said, a little goofy. And even in this first season, there's towards the the latter half of it, it does start getting goofy. Hmm. You yeah. agree, though? That, yeah, no, that I totally agree. No, this is, this is, no, no. Yeah, it was not as good as the rest of the stuff. Now, let me ask you, what what do you think of um, Tom Sturridge? Sturridge, uh, right? Because um, first of all, he said he never read the books, had never read the books before, that he had no experience with the comic books, uh, and uh, he knew about it. But anyway, he. Was cast I'm actually a little surprised that he has never read them before. That's because what he said. He yeah. would have had to have spent his whole life hearing that he looks like Dream. Well, he said that he he knew about the cultural impact and and that he knew about the books and the importance and all that, but he hadn't read the books. I should say, in terms of, I've been meaning to put this in there. Um, I'm not the one because I'm not part of this community. I never was, but um, Dream and especially Death were extremely 
culturally influential to the goth movement of the 90s. Mm. A lot of what you see in classic goth... Really? Interesting. I didn't know that. <clears throat> came back with fi- from Fire Island with a cold. That's why you hear me coughing. But a lot of what you see in goth, like the onks and the, and the um, eyeliner and all of that, it didn't originate in Sandman, but it projected it out to a mainstream audience and right. it, it it basically birthed Hot Topic and that sort of look. Very influential mm-hmm. in that way. Anyway. I think in the beginning he doesn't even look uh, human. Uh, like, you, you watch the first episode and, and the way he acts, he does a very good job. I didn't, you know, it's my first time with a character. Uh, it's my introduction and he, I mean, the way he's there in that glass thing and everything. He's freakish looking. And he doesn't look real. <laughs> I was so happy to see that. And then I'm sorry to say for the rest of the series or season, he looks very normal and right. human. And I really wish they hadn't done that. <clears throat> Even the lighting He's not supposed to look that way. I see. He is not supposed to look normal. He's, and people, he, when he moves through the story, when he moves through the waking world, it's very common for people to comment on his appearance and note that he doesn't look normal. Right. Like, people will say, what's with your eyes? Or why are you so pale? It's part of his, his look and his mm-hmm. persona. So I'm sorry to hear that they kind of humanized him. Um, similarly... Um, they emotionally humanized him in a lot of ways that I wasn't happy to see. There's a, he does a lot of smiling and he makes little quips and I'm like, yeah, that's not, that's not the character. Yeah. Morpheus. He is depressed and old and vindictive as hell. Um, you see a little bit of that, um, that sort of ancient fucked up morality, especially in the mm. first couple of episodes where they just point out how, how much right. of a user he is and how cold he can be to other beings. I have to um, say... So, uh, but you asked me about Tom Sturridge. Right, right. I like... For the most part, I like him. I like... Um, that voice is... Yeah, that's pretty much how Dream is supposed to sound. It sounds a little a little affected, mm-hmm. but he is as old as the universe, so he should have a voice that at least reflects some age and weight to it. Um I'm okay with it. Dream is morose and annoying. Other comment, other characters constantly comment on the, that aspect of him. In fact, the reason there's so many wonderful characters in the story is because the main character is a pain in the it's ass. A pain in the ass, yeah. Uh, so he, uh, Gaiman populated it with all these wonderful side characters, colorful stories, and settings. Um, having said that, Dream is fascinating, mm-hmm. and the journey that he... I can't wait. I can't wait... I don't want to give anything away, but um, what he goes through, what he becomes, what he reveals about himself and about just very universal truths, it's not stuff I've seen in a lot of stories. Mm-hmm. And I, I really hope they, they nail it. Um, I was surprised with a lot of things. I don't want to give anything away, and I want, but I was surprised there was a gay couple, you know. Uh, well, uh, Gaiman, even 30 years ago, populated the book, like I said, with trans and gay and, and mm-hmm. lesbians. He didn't get them all right. Um, in but fact, they, he, he got in trouble for his trans portrayal, and it'll be very interesting when they introduce Wanda next season, whether they got Wanda right, but right. they probably will. Um, no, there's a lot of gay, and the gay couple are kind of evil in the, in the right. first episode, which right. I, I'm, I mean, I think that's good. I, I wasn't expecting to see a gay couple, like, <coughs> you know, and I was like, oh, interesting, I like that. And, and then kind of assholes. And then I went back, and I was, you know, thinking, and I was like, oh, but this was written in the 80s, so that's awesome, yeah, even yeah. better. Yeah, it it's. I mean, uh, there's a death got her own graphic novel in the '90s that was called Death, the time of her life, I think it was, and it dealt with AIDS, and it was the first time. I mean, she mm-hmm. she visited men who were dying of AIDS. Oh, interesting. And um, it was the first time it was dealt with in a mainstream comic. This is why the Sandman mm-hmm. 
is important to people who know the history. But I think a lot of us know, a lot of us who have been into it for all this time, know that there's a possibility the rest of the world might think this story is really weird. So we've been waiting a a really long time for this to come out. I I have to say, I was was fine with everything except the pumpkin head character. Oh my God. (laughs) When it got to that, I was like... Okay, Mervin Pumpkinhead. I, I, I draw a line there. Come okay, on. Okay, first off, he's one of the most. They only. He's only in it for a couple of scenes. <laughs> he's literally one of the most popular characters. Oh my in god, the are book. you serious? Oh god. And what I love about Mervin Pumpkinhead, he's basically a janitor in the dreaming. He works, <laughs> and he has a giant jack o' lantern head that talks. Mark Hamill from Star Wars is the one that does his voice, and inexplicably, although I burst out laughing as soon as I heard it, he's basically doing Stan Lee from Marvel Comics. I don't know. <laughs> why um mervin is like the everyman character but also and they don't have enough of this and that's why he probably stands out to you the dreaming is full of weird things weird things that are in the background the same way your own dreams are right um gaiman was so good at that he was so good at writing dream logic um there's a scene where two people are in a dream together and one of them says, I'm crying, do you have a tissue? And he says, and this is what I, I just love this scene. I just read it the other night. And he says, I don't. What I have is a piece of my childhood bedroom curtain. The right one was mean, but the, the left one was oh nice God. to me. That's how you think in a dream. That's how right, your right, mind right, right. starts working and you know that sort of thing. Um, and so, yes, there are pumpkin-headed janitors who talk and and that probably works better in a, as a drawn image than a CGI right. image. Because I was looking at him, I was like, what are we but doing I, now? I, God, I never even thought. I was like, oh, there's Mervin. Love him. <laughs> I stayed quiet. Didn't say anything to you, but I was like, okay. It this, looks like something out of a children's this show. Is a little too much right now. <laughs> but I actually, I'm glad that Mervin's in there, that no, they're having great. these moments yeah. of weird whimsy. It should... It should look that way. There should be all kinds of weird people right. in that back in the background. That and when I say people, I mean like pumpkin-headed people. <laughs> yes. um, the great thing about the show is that you might not like all the stories or journeys or whatever you call them, but you will like one or two or three. Not necessarily all of them. Every char- every story yeah. arc has characters you will love. Yes, absolutely. I like mean, I hate much of how they handled that second arc, but the people that live in that boarding house. Mm-hmm. You know, oh my the, god, everyone is great. Yes. I, yes. I love those characters so so absolutely so, so much. incredible. Uh everyone is great and like I said, you will identify with I think with something. Right. And then you're gonna love something else, and then something else you'll go like, all right, let's not really crazy about this. And that's just the way it is. That's I mean, just how when you have a collection of stories, right, some exactly. of them are gonna appeal to you and some of them aren't. But I was fascinated uh, the costumes, I thought the costumes were great. You didn't like uh Let's talk about Lucifer. Yes. Lucifer is a main, main character in the books and will be going forward mm-hmm. in the series. It's why they cast Gwendolyn and Christie in the role. Amazing, yeah. Nate, you know, they weren't going to cast some no-name person. In the books, uh, Lucifer is not female presenting. Uh, Lucifer is male presenting. And I say presenting because they're very clear in the books that um, devils and angels have no genitalia. But... Um, He's male presenting he, right. and was deliberately drawn to look like a young David Bowie. This was common in the book where um, it was the 80s. Certain character, Death, was drawn to look like Susie Sue from Susie and the Banshees. John Constantine was drawn to look like Sting. Um, and mm. oh, yeah. And, and, and Dream was drawn to look like the guy in The Cure, you know, Robert Smith from The Cure. 
So it, I can see that totally. Of course, yeah. yeah. So um, that's why the book was so influential, like mm-hmm. with teenagers and goth right. culture and that sort of thing, because it was actually populated with rock and pop stars of the period. Um, where was I going with this? I completely uh, lost my train uh, of thought. Yeah. Oh, Lucifer, right. Used to be drawn to look like a young David Bowie. And a lot of how Gwendolyn Christie plays Lucifer, a lot of the lines and the line delivery that she does was exactly how the character was written, but it comes off differently coming out of the mouth of a woman. Right. In other words, what I'm trying to say here is she's very... Um, gentle and calm and sweet Morpheus, we expected better of you. That is much more uh, sinister coming out of someone who looks like David Bowie. Right. When it's, uh, you know, Gwendolyn Christie is is very tall and everything, but I mean, she's femme. She doesn't, she, I, don't, I don't think Gwendolyn Christie is androgynous. That's to me. That's not. No, she's that's just, not how I see her. She's yeah. not an androgynous figure, and I think sort of the mistake there was thinking that she was, and that's why they because cast, she's tall and because, because she's yeah. big and imposing. But she's still very femme. If you've ever seen Gwendolyn Christie in a in a interview or anything like that, right. she's very femme. Like Brienne of Tarth in in Game of Thrones might have been a little brusque, but. So this is my problem because they they didn't alter how I liked that they cast her. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And the reason they cast part of the reason they didn't cast according to the book was because that version of Lucifer was spun off and given his own TV series, which is also on Netflix. Um, but it's not related to the Sandman. Oh, right. You know that Lucifer that, oh, TV? Oh, I didn't know that. That's from huh. the Sandman. I had no idea. <clears throat> this sort of good-looking, threatening right. sort of character. Well, now you have Gwendolyn Christie, and in, so all she does is she sounds like some, she, like Queen Elizabeth or something. But She's I, I, using very formal, genteel right. um, language to mask her own hatred and anger and potential violence, but it's just coming off like a lady being very genteel and polite. It works for me, I have to say. Okay, I'm glad. No, um, it works for me, because she's evil, and she's polite. I do like all the politeness. I think it's really funny. Um, I guess I was also... You said her partner, Giles Deacon, who is an Uh, uh, avant-garde... Giles Deacon, uh, he's a famous designer. Yeah, British fashion designer. And her real-life partner... He designed her costume, not all the costumes, her costume. So um, you originally see Lucifer in a uh, full white satin gown with a high um, neck. You know, it's not feminine. It's more like priest's robes, um, which is uh, probably appropriate because her castle looks not coincidentally, I think. Uh, her It looks like a Catholic church. It's a lot of marble right, right, columns right. and stuff like that. And it's a reference to the fact you're given Lucifer's whole um, history by by Dream at one point, and it references the fact that uh, Lucifer is a fallen angel that she was once. Right, the that's angel the first Samuel. thing I noticed: the wings and all that. Yeah. Oh, and she's got wings and everything, but they're bat wings, not angel wings, um, or like dragon style wings. It's an interesting look. I and I really like her in the role. I just don't think it fully comes together for mm-hmm. me as much as I'd like. I can and, see that. Yeah. Um, as fun as it was when they went to hell, I thought a lot of hell looked a little cheesy. Um, um, some of the demons looked like Star Trek aliens. They just didn't look... I, I mean, demon... There's a... Um, uh, <laughs> Lucifer's right-hand woman is uh, um, Mazikeen of the Lilum. She's a succubus, and she's in the comics, and she, uh, the side of her face is rotted. 
And in the comics, the side of her head is so rotted that no one can understand her when she's talking. Mm-hmm. She only has half a mouth. They don't do that. It, it, instead, she looks like she's got a little bit of a burn right. on one side of her face. But her her voice is fine. And I'm like, yeah. It, she's supposed to be grotesque. And instead, she's like this kind of hot girl. I think that's them toning with, down a little bit. The, that's uh, the, the, you're in the hell. grotesque part. Yeah. You're in hell. It, I don't see why you would want to tone this. It really, and I mean, come on, you're Netflix. You've done Stranger Things. You can do, you can go harder right. than this. Um, so that's a bit of a disappointment. But um, again, it's all about the the metaphorical being coming literal. And like I said, it sort of is this dark, twisted version of the Catholic Church in a lot of ways. Not that I think Gaiman was making it up, but it looked when she looks out on all the demons, it basically looks like the Vatican. It looks like the Piazza right, right. in Rome. Um, I, 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 I do like it and I'm, <clears throat> I don't want to give too much away again, but I like the transformation when she changed her costume and it's like, whoa. Well, yes, that, that was, part was super yes, cool. That was like, wow. I, I did like not expecting that. Well, I'm not gonna, no, 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 yeah. let's not say anything, but it was just, whoa, that is awesome. <laughs> and, um, she and, and dream go head to head in a, in a combat, which I'm not going to describe, but. I, it's exactly from the comics. It's very word-based. If you read it, it makes a lot of sense. But if you're watching it play out, I, did you think that made sense, what they were doing? No. I, Where she was like, I am a dire wolf. And right, no, it was no. like, I'm a universe. I love that. I love, love that. it too, but I don't know it if people are going to understand yeah. what's going on there. It took me a minute to understand, uh, but I loved it. I was like, it's that is a two cool people way to fight. Who can assert reality through their own words. Yeah, that was awesome. So they stand there and fire words at each other. I, I, I want to bring up the fact that every now and then you were watching, you know, with me and you were like, oh my God, this looks exactly like the, the yeah. comic book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were just, I could see how excited you were because it looked exactly like it. Well, um, it's a double-edged sword because as someone who, and any comic fan will tell you this, it's different for comic fans when their stuff is adapted as opposed Mm -hmm. to, say, book fans. When a book is adapted, you have to go from imagining everything that was described to you to seeing it up on the screen. When a comic is adapted, you have to go from removing the memory of those images which were not described to you they were drawn for right. you especially and they were drawn in specific yeah. style right. there's different styles for different comics um and you have to remove that completely and get used to what you're seeing on screen but in order to i guess pay fan service to the fans or whatever it's become commonplace to, to replicate actual scenes from, like, you know, uh, part of the reason the fans went nuts uh, in the theaters for um, Endgame when Captain America picks up the uh, Mjolnir, Thor's Thor's hammer, is because that scene has been done in the comics. And mm-hmm. it it's a great moment in a movie, but if you're a fan, it's something you've been waiting. Right, At right, that right. point, you had been waiting 10 years for it to happen. Um, I have been in theaters it's not common anymore because we're in like the second decade of the superhero renaissance but maybe in the early 2000s when it was just getting started and i'd see something up on screen that i had only seen on page in my just i cried there were times when i actually cried but i'm really kind of well past that reaction i didn't cry watching anything on sandman but there were certain things that were fun to see however i'm also of the opinion having seen enough bad adaptations over the years to know that making it look exactly like the comic book is, 
I'm not really looking for that. It's fun when it happens, mm-hmm. but I'd rather see you interpret this for the screen and because the page is the page and the screen right. is the but, screen. But but again, if you go too wild with, with your interpretation, then the fans won't like it. You know, I know. It, it, there's a line. There's I know, a but you also here. have to appeal to a broader audience. Right. You, it, it, I don't think there's... I mean, fan man, Sandman has a huge fandom, but Netflix needs people who haven't read the right, comics right. To, to look at it. So the the good thing about it, the series sometimes goes way too verbatim, way too mm-hmm. verbatim, where entire scenes are lifted word for word from the comics. But Gaiman is very good. He's very good with language. He wrote right, some beautiful right. scenes and he wrote some really powerful dialogue. In episode two, that whole speech that Abel gives to Goldie the gargoyle about what kind of brother he wishes he had. Mm -hmm. We live in the same house together and we're nice to each other. Word for word. Every single single word of that monologue is right from the comics. And it's so beautifully written. Why would you change it? On the other hand, Uh you start becoming way too beholden to certain things. And it, and there are times in the, in the adaptation where I don't think the, it serves them well to be so verbatim. Right. My understanding is that Gaiman was uh, sent every script, every costume, every set, everything. Well, he's to, an executive producer. To approve yeah. and so on. So I think it has a lot to do with that. <clears throat> and the fact that everyone involved, they're all fans of the book. So they, yeah. they were trying to pay this homage and, yeah. and and be true to the original material, I guess, as, as, as much as they could. I want them to get it right. It's a very specific story with very specific needs. But at the same token, if you're slavishly devoted to replicating someone else's work in a different medium, it's going to get flat over time. But isn't that what they did with Lord of the Rings? Uh, kind of the same. No, they interpreted they that did. widely. I, they, I mean, there's no Tom Bombadil in that. They rearranged entire right. stories. They That's gave, true, but they I, gave um, Arwen this whole arc that she doesn't even have. Oh, okay. yeah. yeah, never mind. <laughs> and it works because you have to do that in a yeah. film. You can't have right. you know um, characters just disappear and not have any motivations. No, actually, Lord of the Rings stands. It's a controversial one because not everybody likes the adaptation. But it is an adaptation mm-hmm. instead of trying to replicate the books. Right. Um, and I, I personally, I would probably prefer to see more of that. And they, there is some of that. Like uh, when you get to the Johanna Constantine episode, the third episode where they have to rescue the, band of, the bag of sand from her girlfriend, it's very different from the comics. And it has to be because it was... It was all about drug addiction, and the girl who stole the sand was a stupid bitch who was a junkie, and right, right. that kind of very thing. Very eighties, very eighties. <laughs> so it's a very different. Right. So now it's no, it's I love about that scene. Two really beautiful bisexual girls. Now I I love that scene. Don't want to give anything away, but I was really touched by with the, the whole bag thing. of sand. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. thing going back there. I don't want to say anything, but that was beautiful. That's the thing that Lorenzo was alluding to. It can be a horror story, it can be an adventure story, it can be this goofy fantasy story, but there will be moments of human emotion if they do it right. Right. Uh, because Gaiman was so good at this that will just, you know, pierce your heart in a, in a good way sometimes and in a bad way. Um, that's why I love this story so much. It's high adventure. It's um, literate and witty. And it's about words, which I fucking love. And um, it's about very, very human emotions. But it's also about being ancient and mythic and uh, 
tales and stories and patterns that repeat over right. societies and centuries. It's a lot, but it actually pushes all the buttons that are things that I find fascinating. Yeah, and it's about life, how you handle life, how you see life, what you expect right. of life. It's it's a lot about life. Oh, I have a, I had a question. Uh, death characters in a comic book. Does she have the onk? the onk? Oh my god, yes, she, she does. Okay, there are oh god, there's scenes of her <laughs> see, appearing in balls in the 17th century in enormous ball gowns with an onk. Oh, but the ball gowns are all amazing. black, you know? God, I love Death. I, I think that, I have to think that's my favorite character. I can't and it, wait till you not see her in like, ancient Greece yeah. and you see her, you know, oh my and God, I love that, her. And it's not just the character. I have to give Kirby Howe uh, Baptiste uh, credit. She does a phenomenal job. The way she, ah, oh, she presents herself. The whole point to Death is that she's incredibly warm and empathetic, but also nothing's a big deal. <laughs> yes. That's basically it. I know. It's not a big deal. Just give me your hand and you're going to find out what happens it, next. It's and that's amazing. both comforting and also a little funny because the Endless aren't human, so they don't necessarily have... Mm empathy or morality the same way a human would so you could look at death and think she's being very cold because she's just constantly leading right, people right. to their death and shrugging about it but she has a wonderful monologue where she explains her job and how it took eons literal eons for her to come to terms with right, her right, job right. and it's it's just lovely she is incredible uh, she gave me a whole new perspective <laughs> oh good because she is no, major you only saw her once this season but she believe me she's important she I'm, will pop up a it lot it sounds silly but you know i'm terrified of death so it's how is that silly everybody's terrified of but death. uh her character just calmed me down and just soothed me yeah. <laughs> it just made me oh okay you can come. <laughs> yeah. I just want a cute girl in an oh onk to lead she, me to the next she's stage. She's incredible. She's incredible. Yeah. I, I think, as you mentioned, uh, oh, I love the uh, the the the, um, the Richardson woman. What's Joely uh, Richardson? Jolie Richardson. Oh, my God. I love her character, too. It's very short. You know, yeah. She's, she's not... I just love... She's very blasé. She's very in control of her situation. Just love her. Which is fun to watch. She is beefed up considerably as a character. She's not that important in the comics, and she doesn't really last that long. But she did such a great job. But she's good. I, I do think the scenes with her and David Thewlis, who play her son, um, even though he's probably older than her in real life. Um, he's creepy. They drag on. The scenes in right, the right. mental institution actually go on a little too long for mm -hmm. me. Um, he's not my favorite character although no, i don't like him his whole arc leads to one of the most famous issues of the comic and it's dark as shit the diner yeah i don't want to talk about the diner because i was like oh my god i don't want to watch this. it's so much darker in I the know. comics though so yeah, much but it was darker. one episode that i was actually uncomfortable the whole time it's, you're supposed to be uh you're and i was like all right i life. can't believe they're devoting an entire fucking episode oh no when the the stills came out and they showed the diner so many people i saw people tweeting with who had read the books and uh -huh. they were and they were like i'm not ready for this episode no i was it is like uncomfortable the darkest the episode yeah. in the comics actually and um yeah but that's the thing it's right uh you know the sandman is about humanity which means it's going right. to be about love and life and death and darkness it's yeah, and and as i said you, you all of it you know you you're probably not going to like everything like, no uh, you know you're going to like certain things um 
you know, and just like one scene or another or one journey or right. Anyway, that's how I felt about the whole I thing. Agree. I do want to watch it again. Um, we watched the screeners. I guess nothing changed. You watched the. I haven't watched too much of it since it was released this morning, but as far as I can tell, nothing was changed. Yeah, because I want to watch the real thing. Because sometimes when you watch screeners, things are missing or right. they're they're not all there. But um, it's Tila recommended. Yes. I have, like I said, have loved these stories. And, you know, if you're into it, if you're really curious, the, the books are available on Amazon or anywhere else, actually. You can actually buy digital versions to read the original comics, which are superior than the series in a lot of ways because they Ooh, just are. I buy the digital ver- Do you have it? Yeah. Do you have them? I don't have the digital versions, but you can get them on Kindle. I think I'm going to do that because i yeah i okay. want to see it on a you know yeah. nice and bright oh, wait, do you see death she's adorable <laughs> i mean she's adorable on the tv show but she's this total little goth chick from the 80s death and lucien they're my favorite lucien yeah they're my favorite i can't wait for you to meet delirium oh and desire i mean so many of them but yeah. but i really love death there are so many characters i cannot wait for you for you good, and good, and the everybody. viewers yeah. to meet um, so many amazing characters. I cannot wait until they get to Barnabas because when they and those of you who know, you know, when they get to Barnabas, that character is going to go viral. Like it's going to be all over. <laughs> oh I'm not God. even going to explain who, but I hope th- I you hope know, you know. I hope it does well and they keep going because you know we're ta- um, we're talking about several seasons here, right? If if yeah, they, if they I mean the way it. they have it set up, they've only done one fifth of the book. So I Netflix doesn't normally do five season season shows, although they did they have for Stranger Things. So Netflix is probably committed to it. And the Jane Fonda uh, show also, and Lily. Uh, yeah, and, and Orange did, yeah. is the New Black, you know. So um, they have five seasons of material. I think they, if they had to, they could probably tell the whole story in three if they really wanted to. But I hope they don't. The What's great about the series, the books, is that it will occasionally just wander off from telling a story arc and just give you a series of flashbacks. Like here's Morpheus Mm. in ancient Greece. Here's Morpheus at the French revolution. Here's Morpheus, you know, and it just shows him doing various things over the long span of his life. And it tells you things about him. Mm -hmm. Um, I hope they don't cut those stories out because I think, um, I think they're really, really important so that you understand if it's just Morpheus going on adventures, um, you're not going to get an understanding of who he is. Um, anyway, I'm here to tell you that if you haven't read the books like I did, not like I haven't, you don't have to. You don't have to. You're going to enjoy them. Yeah, you're going to enjoy every episode. It's um, really well explained. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it and was, as long as you remember that everybody in it is is literal and mostly not human. I have to say, one of my favorite scenes is the three fates. Oh, yeah, they're great. I love those three actresses. I, you know, Mother Maiden Crone formulations can be really sexist, and we said this in the the, uh, review. But I think they really avoided it by making those three characters, well, one character, actually, playful and powerful. And I just loved all three actresses in it. Um, They look very different in the comics because they were based on horror comic uh, characters, but they cast, and I checked... Because I didn't want to make this mistake, I, I one of the things I wrote was that it they look like the same same woman at three different ages. That's true. And as far as I can tell, I went and checked. They're all um, South Asian actresses. They're they're all, and I think that was del- deliberate so that they all basically looked but like they're, they're all- either they could be mothers and daughters, or mm-hmm. they could just be the same woman at different ages. 
Um, I love them. That's more than a question. <laughs> yeah. I love, yeah, because it's the fates. It's the literal fates. So it's just fun to, and then they're interacting with them and they're yelling at them and they're flirting with them. And it, it, It's awesome. Yeah. So it's stuff like that. I just, I freaking love it. The special effects can get a little goofy and some of it gets a little ponderous and I I'm not crazy about the second no, storyline, but, but the first six episodes I really love. I just love that how it jumps from one thing to another. Uh, they're all different situations yeah. and different ways to approach a story like Every that. Every episode is self-contained, yes, exactly, which is actually exactly, really nice. Exactly. It tells a story and yes. then it ends and then it moves on to, to the can next. take a break and come back and watch the next one. Right. Yeah. It's not all just one long 10-hour movie, which I truly appreciate because... That's not how the books were written. They were written as discrete volumes. Right. And in the beginning, I, I didn't know that. And I was like, yeah. oh, what's going on here? Are we done with these people? Yeah. And then, you know, somebody else. And anyway. Anyway, those are our thoughts. Um, check it out if you have Netflix. If not, I hope we didn't bore you too much talking about this stuff. Um, but I love talking about myth and stories and all that sort of thing. And artwork that uh, that informs your view of the world yes. which the sandman actually did that for me and when you t just said just now about death i was like i'm so thrilled that it can still have that effect it, it does it, i think it, it does and that's good art it informs your view on important or universal topics like love or death or life or right. motherhood or whatever um, so to hear you say that, that, yes. that it made you think about death differently, I'm like, ah. Oh. And, and it's beautiful when, you know, it, 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 it came from different people, different uh, ways of, of presenting something. You know, right. it, it, we're talking about an actor and a writer, right. you know, an, an illustrator, whatever. They all got together and created the thing that I appreciated and made me think, made me think of, you know, things in a different way. So, yeah. So, uh, the Sandman is now on Netflix and it's Tilo recommended. And yes. I'm hoping to extensively cover all five seasons of this show because I know everything <laughs> that happens, every character, every at one point, um, not to give anything away, but there's a certain character that, uh, if you've read the books, Unity Kincaid, you know who I'm talking about, uh, uh, where there's a they introduce this character and what's about to happen to her and I got up to I don't know get a drink or something and you said do you want me to pause this and I said oh honey I not only know what happens to her I, I know, know what she's gonna say <laughs> I know her whole family tree <laughs> so literally I know who her grandchildren are oh my god <laughs> um, that's funny so I can I can go take a pee and come back anyway Love you all. Thank you for listening to us ramble. Yes. I hope this was of some interest to some of you. We'll be back next week with whatever crosses our eyes. We really will be back next week, I promise. <laughs> We're not going anywhere. <laughs> with, allegedly. Yes. Allegedly. With whatever crosses our eyes or crosses our desks. Until then, take care of yourselves. Love you. Mean it. Bye-bye.